Hello everyone, Al here. Now, for anyone who's been listening to this show since the beginning, what you're about to hear, you probably heard the first time it was released. But anyone who started listening to the show in the last few years, well, as you went back to look through the earlier episodes, you would have found that five of them are missing. Episodes 17, 35, 42, 49, and 71. And this was because a few years ago, I removed them due to a complaint about copyright ownership. Apparently, there was a complaint I had used some copyrighted material in them. Well, what specific material was used? I have no idea. Despite me sending numerous emails to both my hosting site and the company I was complaining, I was never informed of what was the problem, just that there was a problem. Now, without knowing what the issue was, the only way to keep the show on the site is to just have removed those episodes completely. Looking back at them, the one, the one thing I can see so far, I haven't listened to all of them yet, but the one thing I can see so far they all do have in common is a promo for a show that's ended now, Parallel Lines, a DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, which used the song Radioactive by Imagine Dragons. It's taken me some time, but I finally got off my butt and I'm starting to re-edit these episodes to remove that as well as anything else that possibly could be considered copyright material. Although... As I've finished doing this episode, episode 17, so far the promo is the only thing I heard at all that was on there, so that's probably what it is. And quick update, as of doing this episode, still, that's the only thing on there. So I'm going to go assume that was the problem. But anyway, I'm going to be re-releasing these episodes this year. By the end of the year, everything's going to be in the feed. Of course, in the wrong order, but, you know, hey, you can't have everything. All right, so here it is. Representing episode 49, in which me and Brian Zeno cover the first half, more or less, of Captain Marvel number 31. Enjoy. Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and we are covering a Captain Marvel issue with Thanos in it, which means we have back again, Brian. Hi there. Hello, Brian. Am I a good cop or am I a bad cop? <laughs> um, I'm not sure which you'll, one am I. You'll just, you'll just have to find out. And if you don't find out, I will find you oh. and I will hunt you down. Sorry. <laughs> Doesn't the hunting down happen before the finding? Possibly. I'm not sure. I'm sorry, my Liam Neeson impression needs some work. Apologies. Um, anyway, hi. <laughs> I was just listening to Kevin Smith before, so that's not the late version of Liam Neeson I'm thinking of. Oh? You know, I guess you haven't listened to Hollywood Babylon? No, I have not. They have uh, a I'm... section at the end called How Big is Liam Neeson's Cock? Okay. For I... people writing things like, Liam Neeson is so big... Oh, they make Chuck Norris jokes about uh, Liam Neeson's uh, manhood. Basically, nice, nice. Now I am, I am, I, I going entirely off of a Taken in the Lego Movie. So, 
Uh, Lego. Yes. Uh. But we're not here to talk about Lego movies, although they are fun. They are fun, and I could do that, but I'm not going to. We're here to talk um, about Captain Marvel 31, which exactly. is kind of, we're back to the main story, after a bit of a sidetrack with, Dare, with Daredevil. Uh, right, right, right. He he did sort of head out. To, he had a little West Coast sojourn. He uh, picked up a bald girlfriend, as it were. Yeah, kind of. And actually, we're going to mention Daredevil. I'll, I'll mention Daredevil when I eat briefly, because it kind of is... Inf- they tell you that's how Moon... Because Moon Dragon's here. Right. She's in this issue that we are talking about, number 31. Yeah. But, so you know what? Let's just go right to the synopsis, and then we can get right into it. Okay. Synopsize away. Captain Marvel 31, The Beginning of the End Written, penciled, and colored by Jim Starlin Inked by Al Milgram and Dan Green Lettered by Tom Orszewski Edited by Roy Thomas With a cover by Jim Starlin and Al Milgram Cover date, March 1974 With a sale date of December 4th, 1973 And an original cover price of 20 cents Captain Marvel and Moondragon arrive at Avengers Mansion and find Drax the Destroyer fighting four of the Avengers, Black Panther, Vision, Mantis, and Swordsman, who think that Drax is an invader. Marvel is able to stop the fight and has the Vision contact the rest of the team. Once Thor, Captain America, Scarlet Witch, and Iron Man are there, he tells them he has called them together due to the threat posed by Thanos. Using the Cosmic Cube, Thanos is able to watch this happening from Titan. He feels that calling the Avengers in now could cause him a problem for his plans and decides he needs to remove those who know the most about him and could cause him problems. These people are Captain Marvel, Iron Man, Drax, and Moondragon. He will bring them to Titan to eliminate them as a threat, along with his father Mentor and brother Eros. Thanos then talks to his hooded companion, who has been with him this entire storyline. He reveals that the reason he has been doing all of this is because he is in love with her, even though she has never spoken to him and he knows who she really is. To prove his love, he will give her the Earth. Back in Avengers Mansion, Marvel fills in the Avengers on his battles with Thanos. While he does so, Thanos kidnaps him and the other three problem people by teleporting them to Titan. Along with Mentor and Eros, they are kept in bioelectric fields that immobilize them. While they are helpless, Thanos monologues, and to show his power, he brings everyone safely out into space to show them the vast armada he has gathered to attack the Earth. And for more of this, wait a few episodes for when we cover Avengers 125. To then fully drain his opponents of all hope, he shows them his other prisoner, Kronos, the god of Titan. Brought back to Titan, Marvel is able to move just enough to bring his negabands together and switch places with Rick Jones. The energy released by this change causes a feedback that releases everyone. Everyone attacks Thanos, except for Mentor, who does not wish to fight his son, and commands Isaac to turn off the cosmic gyro which keeps Titan in orbit, and the moon spins off into space. The sudden change knocks everyone off balance enough for Marvel to kick the cube from Thanos' hand. In the fight for the cube, Thanos takes almost everyone out until Marvel stands against him, but even he quickly falls. Only Moondragon is left, and they engage in mind war, which she loses. All of his enemies defeated, Thanos then uses the cube to first put Titan back, and then to apparently atomize himself, leaving everyone confused. That is, until Marvel looks at the view screen and sees what has happened. Thanos has used a cube to turn himself into the universe. He is now Thanos, the god. 
the Fantastic Cast is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover each issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo of Marvel's first family. And in 2019, we begin our journey through the neon decade, the 1980s. Join us as we cover... All-time classic runs from John Byrne and Walt Simonson. She-Hulk and Sharon Ventura join the Fantastic Four. The Invisible Girl No More, here comes The Invisible Woman. Spin-off series including Marvel 2-in-1 and The Thing. Marvel's Secret Wars, The Trial of Reed Richards and more. Find us at thefantasticast.com on iTunes and all other podcast services. The Fantasticast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? Synopsis out. <laughs> out. So that was a synopsis. So now we can get into it. Now we can get into it. So uh, we are in um, we are in the tail end of uh, although it is cover dated March uh, 1974, it's in the tail end of 1973 that it was actually published. So yes. I will be continually making references to 1973. Uh, no one send me angry tweets regarding uh, the cover date or do. I don't I don't mind if you do, but I'm saying it's unnecessary. Yes. Yeah. He's not the guy writing Captain America. OK, you don't have to try and threaten him. Exactly. Oh, God. Poor, yeah. poor, yeah. poor uh, Nick Spencer. I feel, I feel for the guy. No, I agree. It, it's not <laughs> worth. And I was just kidding, by the way. Yeah. Nothing. I'm sorry. I love this stuff, obviously, because I'm doing a podcast. Right. It's not worth sending threats. No, nothing. You know, nothing if you were somebody is who was sending him a threat, fuck you. Stop <laughs> listening. Go away. There you go. We That's don't, my we opinion don't, on it. I don't care what don't. the story's about. Doesn't matter. Go home. I don't, don't need your ear holes that badly. All right, are they gone? So just the cool people still? I don't smell anything, so I'm thinking yes. All right. All right. I'm so. waiting to hear something. I'm waiting to hear something. My doorbell ring and a flaming <laughs> bag on my doorstep. But anyway, so the cover for this one, uh, it's a little packed. It is very packed. It we got is everybody. A, a group shot par excellence. We got Captain Marvel, all mm-hmm. the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Well, no, sorry, not all the Avengers. Um, well, okay, I was going to say Scarlet Witch isn't on there, but it's not just her. They also don't have Mantis or Swordsman. Or, or Swordsman. Now, at this point, I, I, I'm not re- I haven't been as conscientious about keeping track of the early 70s Engelhart era Avengers roster. At this particular point in Avengers history, are Mantis and Swordsman actual members of the team, or are they kind of like still hangers-on? Or I am not 100% sure, and I have to check the official on this, but I mean, they've been in mo- pretty much every issue. Yeah, no, that's true. That's So true. I still kind of count them, and Scarlet Witch ain't there. Right, that's true. And neither is Moondragon. And that's she's more in the issue than Captain America or Thor. Interesting. Actually, have you noticed there's no women on the cover? Yeah. It's all men. I wonder if that was a conscious choice on Starlin's part or what? Or editorial. Kind of like... Or editorial. Well, you know, girls aren't going to sell the comics, so... Well, this is a bit of a... Now, it's interesting. This is a bit of a uh, a jam session, this cover, because as I was uh, looking at the cover, I noticed that it's signed Gemini. And I wondered, what is that? And I thought, is that a reference to I don't know what? Uh, so I went and I did a little searching. According to Marvel's Wikia page, uh, the pseudonym is a reference by Al Milgram, who inked the cover. Okay. 
Jim Starlin was for the most part the penciler. And so when Al inked it, he decided to have a little fun and he signed it Gemini, which is a, a pun on Jim and I. Oh, that makes sense. But it also bears noting that it is a, a matter of record somewhere, I'm not sure where, but somewhere, that Captain Marvel's actual face on this cover was retouched after the fact by John Romita. Really? Yeah. So when I write the synopsis that I already told everyone and include <laughs> the cover information, I'm also have, I'm going to have to put cover by Al Milgram, Jim Starlin, and John Romita. Right. Um, and you can kind of tell when you look at it because all the rest of, like, the Destroyer and uh, the Vision and Captain Star- America and Thor, they all have those, like, sort of elongated Starlin-style faces. And but Captain Marvel's is more of a, a little bit more... A classic late 60s hero face. Yeah. So, um... Uh, but I just I thought that was a uh, very interesting that it's a little bit of a jam session. Also, it needs to be pointed out that this cover contains just a little bit of a spoiler for the story within. Um, I didn't realize this until after I'd read it through once and then went back to the cover to start taking notes. And I realized that as we go into this issue, OK, so you're picking up issue 31 and you haven't started reading it yet. The last and but if you have been reading Captain Marvel um, on the regular the last you were aware of Eros and Mentor, they were still captives of Thanos on Titan. So the fact that they are in this group, attacking group, behind Captain Marvel on the cover is a little bit of a slight spoiler that at some point in this story they bust out of con- of their containment and join the fray. True, although it could also be just, he also could have meant it to be a uh, symbolic thing, because I mean, after all, Captain America, Vision, Black Panther, and Thor are really not going to be attacking anybody. That's a fair point. That's a well, fair point. But that too, except the Destroyer, that too is yet to come because we are still on the cover. Um, it was probably, I think, I think, I think it's a combination because I think the main reason they were put on there is because generally when you put a high-profile, big-name bunch of characters on a cover, whether or not they actually participate in the story within to the extent that it is implied on the cover. You're doing it for sales. Yeah. I mean, let's, put- let's face it. The group that's actually in the story, the group, the the two main, I mean, the two big names are Captain Marvel and Iron Man. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one else is the name. Everyone else are minor supporting characters. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. That's true. So I guess, you know, you do kind of want, but I mean, they do still, Thor and Division and all of them still do appear in here, so you you know, you're not lying when you have them show up. Exactly. Exactly. But there they are, and I'm, I'm, I'm going on record as saying that's my theory. Okay, that but, works. Uh, but cool, cool. It's an energetic and dynamic cover, so I approve of it greatly. Oh, yeah. No, I, yeah, especially I'm, if I'm thinking about it. If you're looking at it on the stands, probably, the way it like, would stand up, you would see the title, Captain Marvel, and then it would probably be, see the big word, attack, and if you pulled it up, you would see everybody there. Right, and also it needs, I also have to approve of this on the grounds that um, there is actually, while this actual dialogue and this actual frame, so to speak, didn't really appear in this issue as depicted. There is a moment, especially if you're taking the presence of those other Avengers as symbolic, there is an actual moment in this story where this moment could have taken place as depicted. So um, that's that's cool, too, because sometimes covers can be extremely misleading. No, that's true. And they, yeah, 
covers are many times very misleading. <laughs> Just a bit. So we start off, and we actually got Moondragon showing up. So it's yes. her first appearance in this book. Yes, and it's it was immediately uh, slightly amusing in a fanboy kind of way and a bringing what you bring what you know now that you didn't know then to the table sort of way because she says marvell i agreed to accompany you here to meet your friends the avengers and like taking someone around to meet your friends that's like kind of a new girlfriend kind of thing to do and that of course leads me to be unintentionally amused because of what we now know here in the 21st century about moon dragon and her dating habits. Well, she dated everybody back then. I mean, here's the thing. Okay, it really doesn't fit too well, because at the end of in, in Daredevil issues, where Captain Marvel does show up in the end of it, mm-hmm. they've just referenced the fact that he was changed by Eon. Mm-hmm. So it takes place post-29. Correct. Okay. Now, Daredevil, and that's, Daredevil 107 ends with them, Daredevil still in San Francisco with Black Widow and Moondragon, and, you know, they beat all the bad guys, Angar and Screamer, and Captain Marvel leaves. Okay. Daredevil 108 takes place two months later. It says two months later. Oh my, so and he's also, been out on the West Coast a while. Well, he was out on the West Coast for like a year before that anyway, but I mean... No, so, I mean Marvel. Well, no, Marvel was only... Marvel left at the end of the issue. Oh, right, 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 right. But that's no, the thing, it's like, right. so Marvel's there, and then two months later is when Moondragon leaves Daredevil, and then in between that and here is when she shows up. So... It's kind of like, so, wait, between 29 and here, it's been two months? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not, not... It doesn't really work. Doesn't really work. Because that, this kind of is a very... I mean, these issues are like taking place of, like, days at the most of each other. No, that's, that's absolutely true. And at the Daredevil, like I said, Daredevil 107, the gap between Daredevil 107 and 108 is said to be two months. So, that's a little, like, ah. But I mean, that could be a little nitpicky, I guess. But still, that's what we're talking. That's what we're here to do. That is exactly what we're here for. Yeah. Although it's also kind of weird because it's kind of hard to tell. It's like it's you're reading that issue real quick, and I'm like, because I read that just to see, make sure I didn't have to read it for the show. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. But I'm like, I'm looking at it, going, is he living with Black Widow and Moondra and and Moondragon? Hey, because is like a- he's keeping like Black Widow on like. She's like, so are we together still or not? He's like, well, I don't know what's going on with me and Moondragon. I'm like. Dude, you're being a complete dick. Matt Murdock has always been a bit of a dog, you know? He, like, just keeps, he just keeps Widow on the hook for like two months? Uh-huh. And they're uh-huh. living in the same place together? I'm oh, like, it, it also bears pointing out here on this cover page, not cover page, but a splash page, you know, it gives you the credits, and listed as the letterer is none other than Tom Orzachowski. Yes. And in the not too distant future, he will take up a long term residence as the letterer, especially for the X Men. Yes, that's who I recognize the name from. He has such a distinctive style at that point. This is about two or three years prior to that, and it's clear this is one of his early jobs because his lettering, whilst perfectly competent and perfectly uh, fitting for this time period. It isn't Tom Orzachowski letter, lettering. It's very sort of just 1973 ordinary comic book lettering. So I just wanted to make that uh, observation okay, there. But I just had to say that thing about the Daredevil, because they do say on there, note to consistency freaks, <laughs> you know, Moon has returned from space where we left her meditating in Daredevil 108. And I'm like, well, 
if you want to really go with that, it really doesn't work because it's been two months, but no, it hasn't. But it mm-hmm. has. Mm-hmm. So we just have to not think about that. I, I think that's best. It's kind of like trying to figure out how Wolverine gets everywhere every day. <laughs> he is everywhere. It's like every you, day. It's like his schedule is just packed. Wolverine, Wolverine is with us now. Wake up, breakfast, claw, claw, claw with Avengers. Okay, then jump in a teleporter, claw with the X Men. Okay, upgrade some tests, lunch. Yeah, exactly. Uh, help out this other team, afternoon tea. Keep Quentin Quire from destroying something. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> oh, oh, I gotta die. Finally, I gotta break. Yeah, exactly. That's why he died. Yeah, he just, yeah. he just needed a rest. He's like, ah, oh, nap time. <laughs> but, so, we of course start off with the, uh, classic, we're gonna have a misunderstanding and attack. Because didn't the destroyer just knock on the door, or ring the doorbell? That's not really attack, that's not really invading when you ring the doorbell and say, hi. Yeah. And introduce no. yourself. My name's Drax. I was told to come find, I was told that you guys could help. I was going to observe that this is very much like typical of the Engelhart era Avengers, that they're, well, a lot of heroes at this stage of, of Marvel history. A lot of hotheads, a lot of people who just jump into an attack on a stranger for no reason. But I think that this panel is also sort of doing double duty. You know, yeah, they're taking a bit of a shortcut there, but because what this panel, I think, is really meant to accomplish in a storytelling sense is it's giving us exactly um, a reminder or an introduction for people who haven't encountered the character before somewhere else of just how powerful the Destroyer is, because he's holding off the entirety of the Avengers, or at least all the Avengers who are in the mansion. Well, I mean, and he's still that really doesn't give... That doesn't, I mean, to be fair though, he, he, the vision hasn't come into it yet. The vision's flying towards him. So he's taking on Mantis, Black Panther, and Swordsman. So we know he's just stronger than normal people. Right, exactly. And it's sort of, and it also bears pointing out that these first, the, in the first two panels, Captain Marvel is in fact counseling caution and waiting until we see what's oh, what yeah, before no. we act. Yeah, we and definitely I'm, have this new version of Captain Marvel who's, I guess that's some of that cosmic awareness at play there, yeah. perhaps. Well, this also goes with my whole Superman theory. Okay, that's fair. That is that is good. I'd forgotten about that theory, but now that you remind me, yeah. Because that's, that's a very Superman-type thing. You know, be like, okay, you made a mistake, but we're going to learn from the mistakes. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. And we're not going to just bitch at you for it, because that would be, a going with that analogy, a Batman thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, two other uh, quick observations regarding the big fight panel there one i was a little surprised to see mantis in shoes oh yeah Um, she is now i think i have vague memories it's been a while since i rootled my way around this era of avengers comics in a very disorganized fashion which is what it was i remember reading the celestial madonna sequence first and i think that's about a year later than this yes because that's a yeah, because one Avengers one twenty one is the issue that came out the same month as this one. Right, and and in that uh, storyline, Mantis is pretty much going around barefoot. Well, what and, I remember in the current of issues, she is too. Right, but I also, as I recall, um, when I went and did a little bit of looking around just to find the earliest um, appearances of the Swordsman and Mantis in the Avengers. 
I have a vague memory that maybe in her earliest two or three appearances, she was wearing these sort of booty things. So I could be... Uh, That's possible, because that also could have been when they had the really small antenna for her. Yeah, I'm not, I think we were I'm, talking about that when we did the uh, Defenders, Avengers Defenders War. That like her antenna, right. her right. antenna seemed like grow as the issues came on. Yeah, like they started yeah, really exactly. small. And even here, actually, they don't look like antenna; they look like hair. Yeah, it's 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 it was it's, she's a wor- she was very much a work in progress back in those days. Um, and the other uh, quick observation about this is, uh, I would really dearly love to know how Marvel got Swordsman's French language swearing around the Comics Code Authority, I have to imagine that someone involved in judging an issue's uh, uh, suitableness for the Comics Code seal had to have picked up on the fact that Fille du Chien-Mère is French for son of a bitch. I never even thought to look it up. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, that's awesome. No, I mean, I know this. I, I I do speak French, so I looked at that, and I'm immediately like, wow, the swordsman just got away with saying son of a bitch on the pages of a Marvel comic in 1973. So either well, the rule was you get away with it if it's in a foreign language, or someone at the Comics Code Authority uh, seal stamping uh, office was very much asleep at the wheel. Well, I think it might be a little bit of both, because here's the thing. I just, I'm also trying to read, like, read these issues of, that like come out around the same time as this one, like the ones that he had been in before, like Fantastic Four, Avengers, okay. things like that. And I, I forget which one because I just read like Fantastic Four, like one thirty nine to one forty one over the past week. And in one of the issues, the thing, and I think they mentioned this the Fantastic Cast too, but it's been a while since I've listened to that episode. The thing says to re- it says you look as ner- uh, nervous or as upset as a preacher at an orgy. Oh jeez. <laughs> so. You know, it's like, okay. Nice image. Don't Mom, what's an orgy? Yeah. <laughs> it's what we, it's what we mommy and daddies do at our key parties. Exactly. On weekends. Shh. Um, now go to your room. Um oh another another thing that you may right. So I'm recall. wondering if they just weren't paying attention as much as they, I wonder if some of these guys were like, What if I get away with this? They're not gonna let I, this happen. And then I'm you read thinking, the issue, holy crap, they let me get away with this. How'd this happen? Now here's another good uh question for you. Um, because throughout this particular issue, uh, the Destroyer refers to himself um, and everyone else refers to him pretty much exclusively as the Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Had he been named Drax at any point? I'm this fairly early certain on? he was called Drax the Destroyer in like his first appearance and stuff. Like Iron Man but I think 55? like Destroyer. Yeah, but I think the Destroyer is kind of what he's known as. Okay. He's the Destroyer. Okay. I was just curious about that because yeah, he doesn't friend. get named Drax anywhere in this issue, and I was just curious to I, I had forgotten the details of some of the details of his earlier appearances, I think it's and wasn't so sure if cool. if the Dra- if the name Drax maybe came along a little later. I'm pretty certain the Drax was already there. I think it was kind of like, you know, you got to give him a superhero name, so he's the Destroyer. Mm-hmm. You know, Drax. That's fair. Quote unquote secret identity. Nope that's that's absolutely fair. So, um, on, uh, moving on to page three, the, uh, top panel, the first panel, I the found stop. 
Yeah, I found it kind of tremendously entertaining that Captain Marvel needed to inform us via thought bubble of his entire decision chain and strong vocal cords. Right. Before shouting stop it. <laughs> it would be worse than foolish to try to physically separate them. My only hope lies in sudden shock and strong vocal cords. Stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um so that was that was I don't know I mean I was entertained by that panel I'm not sure it's if I was fun. entertained in the way in which they intended me to be entertained but anyway uh, now so panel, but it worked he got up and right. stopped fighting now now panel three has a, a trope that I am increasingly as I get older and crotchetier and crankier I increasingly find extremely irritating which is this sort of I mean, it's where it's where the destroyer tells Captain Marvel that Isaac, which is the massive supercomputer that basically the planet or it's not a planet. The moon Titan is at this point is pretty is pretty much Isaac. (laughs) Like Isaac's physical form is the moon of Titan. Yeah. And everyone sort of just lives on it. But anyway, uh, the destroyer informs Captain Marvel that Isaac estimates that you possess a zero point a point zero four percent chance of stopping Thanos. And this is a common trope in the late sixties and early seventies of indicating great intelligence or or computer uh, intelligence as in in almost exclusively in the form of right in the form of percentage odds i remember that was like we we were supposed i remember that was one of the things that i found difficult to swallow about uh the fantastic four in the 60s the the lee and kirby run on the fantastic four was the mad thinker his one shtick i mean he was supposed to be this incredible genius and his one shtick was calculating odds to decimal points and i'm thinking that's really not much going on there, but anyway... Uh, well, it's if you listen to Fantasticus, they, you know, also the question is, how good really was he at that? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you if you believe he's that good at it, then, you know, that's one thing, but it's like, yeah, if you go with, he's maybe not as good as he thinks he is. You know, and plus, just knowing what the percentage chance of something is, isn't really much of a piece, of, isn't, isn't very useful, ultimately. Well, yeah, because, um, I mean, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's a guarantee, because I'm not going to spoil things too much, but here's a spoiler for this thing. Thanos is not, does not rule the Marvel Universe from the 1970s on. What? Just saying. I did not, see, now, I didn't want to know that until I got there. Thank you so much, Al. <laughs> Otherwise, we would not have Infinity Gauntlet. Oh, that's right. Okay, fine. That's or, or... You know, Church of Universal Truth or any of that stuff yet to come. Yeah. But um, it's kind of like, so it's like, so just because it's a point, whatever chance does not mean it's not going to happen. I it, Anyway, the point is, is just never quote me of, the odds. That's the point. That, that, that sort of one trick pony storytelling trope. Just like I said, the more I see it and the more I see it as lazy storytelling and it gets on my nerves. But that's just me. I don't know. You know what? I'm not gonna sure if I'm going to go with lazy here. I'm going to go with young. Because this is, I mean, if we're talking 1980 Starlin, or 90s, or now, that's one thing. But with 1973 Starlin, I mean, really, how much more stuff has he done? I mean, he's still pretty new, especially writing his own ongoing series. Now, that's fair. That is a fair, that is a fair uh, assessment. I mean, this is, the one thing I'd say about this book, when you said about Tom, Tom Orshevsky, is that pronounced right, Orshevsky? Uh, or or Zachowski is how I always said it in my head, but no, I could be wrong about that. But 
like you said, he's, you know, it's not the one we know of later, but this is, this is technically not the Starlin we, like, you look at the artwork, it's definitely not the Starlin artwork we see later on. No, well, no, it is, it is primitive. It, it is, is primitive. primitive. And this is like, kind of like the primitive raw, this is almost like seeing the Golden Age comics where, like, they didn't really know what they were doing, they were just kind of, like, excited and throwing stuff together. Yeah, and sort of and, making it up as they went along. And, like, I mean... Al Milgram, Jim Starlin, like, this is early stuff for them, and the fact this is probably one of their first ongoing, you know, they're not just doing random issues here and there. No, you're right. Yeah, absolutely right. first ongoing book that they get to do, and they're doing, uh, and what do they do? We're going to do this great big cosmic thing where everything's going to be in danger. Mm -hmm. We're Mm going to go for as high, you know, we're going to start with the worst thing ever. We're not going to build up. We're not going to start with Captain Marvel vs. Muggers. And work our way up to better stuff. We're going to start at the top. Well, if you take the broader sense, it actually does start with Captain Marvel versus Muggers. Because as I recall, our first, our entry point into the Starlin run and the Thanos run and the Starlin verse, as it were, in its first manifestation here in the pages of Captain Marvel, I believe it was what, Captain Marvel number 27, I think it was? 25, I think even. 25 it might have been, and that first page is Captain Marvel Versus some muggers. So, um, in a larger sense, you're kind of wrong about that. Stop using facts. <laughs> I hate when people use facts in my I'm just, I'm just saying, so. Um, <laughs> okay, now here's, now, now here, this is something, speaking of, uh, speaking of going back a bit, this actually took me back to the very first episode of the, uh, of Resurrections that I did with you, and that's the last panel here on page three, which is Thanos. He's monologuing. He does a lot of monologuing in this issue. Oh, yeah. This is this issue is very largely Thanos monologuing. And it feels like it's scripted. It feels some of it feels scripted monologuing, like he planned it out for dramatic effect. Some of it is fantastic and some of it is not so fantastic. But here, this is our first big meaty helping of Thanos monologuing. And he's watching uh, Captain Marvel and the Avengers from afar. He's privy to everything because thanks to the do, the, the, the all-powerful can do anything cosmic cube, he is witnessing this conversation as it happens. And he says, bah, you are also wrong, blah, blah, blah. And this is what I like. He says, the time has come for those who stand in my way to see that I am the light, the way, the power. And, of course, this put me immediately in mind of uh, Jesus uh, in the book of John. In the Bible, he actually says twice, he says, I am the light of the world. And once he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hmm. Now, if you recall, now, if we go back to... And then the he says, stop episode, looking at my weird chin. Leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. But then, now, if we go back to... that Than- Thanos, not Jesus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you go back to the first episode of Resurrections that I did with you, where we covered Marvel Premiere, I think it was, wherever Warlock made his first... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Marvel Premiere 1. Right. Marvel Premiere 1 by Roy Thomas and Gail Kane, where Adam Warlock was first presented as pretty explicitly a Christ-like figure. So this harkens back in a way to that also. Even though it wasn't him. It wasn't Starlin doing it. No, no, no. That was Roy Thomas and Gil Kane. And I would be very, very surprised if a conscious callback to that was on Starlin's mind uh, when he did this. I'm just saying that, hey... 
we have the luxury of looking at it all, and maybe it wasn't intentional, but there's still a pattern there. Oh, and by the way, that was episode eight. Oh, okay, cool. Well, it was episode one for me. Me. (laughs) (laughs) June 1st, 2014, it came out. Wow. Wow. We've been at this a while. But anyway, so that was just that I I saw those I saw him say that and immediately I put all that stuff together, you know. Now on the flip side, this could just be like um, like uh, the Eighth Doctor said in the uh, Doctor Who TV movie back in 1996 when he said, "I love humans, always seeing patterns that aren't there." Yeah, <laughs> and that's possible because so. we're looking at this afterwards, and like we said, there's a very good chance that a lot of this stuff was done kind of on the fly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But. I mean, isn't that true of a lot of literary criticism and things like that? Or sometimes there are, there are things that authors don't realize are in there or weren't planning on, but there might be they, or they're there or at least they're visible to most people. Which is why I tend to have very limited uh, patience for an appetite for literary criticism as a general rule, despite the fact that it's kind of what I'm doing on a regular basis here in these podcasts. I feel a little bit like the tick. I well, hate broccoli, and yet I am broccoli. Well, to me, it's kind of like. It's a ways of looking at it and thinking about it. It just does not mean you have to take it as gospel. That's fair. That's fair. You know? ah, I so see what you did there. Gospel. Ah. Yep. But anyway, so next page, by the way, I love that first panel. Oh, okay. The, Than- okay. the Thanos, like, in the, kind of in silhouette. With the, with with the eyes sparking. And, and the, the cosmic cube, like, really big in his hands. Mm-hmm. That is cool. And then we get these little weird... Oh, that's right, because they're in the Cosmic Cube. They're like, well, the cube is showing him all the people he's talking about. Exactly. As exactly. he plans his hit list. And I do have to say, this is now, now, if your brain can parse it, this is actually a pretty nifty sort of visual we're getting here, because the, 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 the drawing of the cube in panels 2, 3, and two, three, four, and 5 make it seem like he's looking into the top of the cube, and this crystalline cube is sort of manifesting these heads As in the middle about, of it. Yeah. And that's, I'm, I'm sort of, translating that in my mind into a more three-dimensional live-action-y kind of thing, and that's actually really farkin' cool. So... everybody it's good to hear from you all my name is sarah century i am a co-host of a podcast named bitches on comics right now i'm drinking a glass of whiskey beer water (laughs) orange lots of different things and i'm staring at a beautiful xena dvd box set if you were ever going to put a bet on what i happen to be doing at any given time this is probably what you would have chosen and you would be right and whenever I say you, I'm talking to my co-hosts. <laughs> Hi, I'm Essie Plenor. I'm one of the other hosts of Bitches on Comics. We are a podcast all about queer and trans representation. We mostly do interviews with comic creators and pop culture creators and critics of all stripes. And it's a good time. And we have a a third host here with us today. Hello, I am Monica Estrella Negra, and I am a recent addition to the wonderful podcast, Bitches on Comics. I was kidnapped. (laughs) (laughs) What if the mic just cut right then? We promised you Harley Quinn comics, and this is what you got. We're like, hey, Monica, you want to talk about some comics? You want to be cool? You want to... 
get over here and stay close to me forever. That's exactly how it happened. That they lured exactly me. They lured me. And I fell for it like a sucker. I'm just like, yeah, right. Monica's the one who kidnapped us. <laughs> yes. Monica does collect us like shiny stones. It's very beautiful. In my basement. Goblin court. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we are a bi-monthly podcast. We have episodes that come out every other week on Wednesdays. And we would love to have you join us. You can tune in at our website, which is bitchesoncomics.com. Or you can tune in wherever you get your podcast episodes. We love to hear from folks. So come join us on Twitter and Instagram. We're hold on to your butts. We're at Bitches on Comics. And we hope to see you there. But yeah, so he has his little hit list. But yeah, and this is this is just yet more. This is some primo meaty monologuing from Thanos here. Yeah, and including his. But like I said, this is our main cast for the book, which mm-hmm. is not except for Captain Marvel and Iron Man is not main headliners. I mean, we have mm-hmm. Captain Iron Man, Drax, Moon Dragon, Eros, and Mentor. Mm-hmm. All all sort of supporting or background characters. Yeah, yeah. All I mean, three of them are background characters from Captain Marvel and Moon Dragon. She's really just been a kind of antagonist slash background character in Daredevil for like three issues. Right, she's in the process of getting reinvented. Very well, by the way. Yeah. But a good, a good, a good instance of a character sort of being introduced and being a bit of a throwaway and sort of getting reused in a way that makes them much more interesting. So, yeah. and I have to wonder, cool. was Moon Dragon was the plan for Moon Dragon? I mean, did Steve like did? Did they plan that, or like did Jim Starter go, you know what, I'm going to use her? I think that's what it was. I think I have no idea why they felt the need to turn Madame McEvil specifically into Moondragon as opposed to just inventing a new character that would be Moondragon. Maybe they just really, maybe Starlin really, really liked the design, said, can I make my new character look like that? And Roy Thomas, who I believe had invented Madame McEvil, he had been the writer. I think I'm trying to look um, that up right now to see who um, it was. No, actually, now that I think of it, it might have been Archie Goodwin because I know he had a spell writing uh, Iron Man back in those early days when George Tusco was drawing it. Okay, um, Iron Man Fifty Four, which is that issue, which is I believe is the right issue. Yeah, which is funny that it's the issue before Starlin makes his debut. Yeah, and it's before Thanos. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, written by Bill Everett and Mike Friedrich. Okay. And by George Tuska. Okay, so that would have been so. It would probably, if if it was written by Bill Everett and Mike Friedrich, knowing what I know of Bill Everett and his life at that point in time, I'm betting the bulk of that work was done by uh, Mike Friedrich. Probably. But um, okay. Well, anyway, the point is, I'm guessing that and this is pure conjecture. So take it for what it's worth. I'm guessing that Starlin just liked the character design, and he said, "Look, I have this idea for a new character. I want to work into my um, into the mythology I'm building up here, and mo- this Moon Dragon character that I really want to use. I like the look of." Madame McEvil, can I use that character design? Can I make Moondragon look like Madame McEvil? And uh, Roy Thomas, the editor who would have been the editor in chief at that time, probably just said to him, Well, why, you know, just port the look, just make the character, just transform the character, like take Madame McEvil and make her into Moondragon. 
So a little bit of a little bit more work for Starlin, but he pulled it off. Hmm. Uh, awesome. Just like I said, Makes just sense. conjecture. But I, I saw. The, I need to read that issue yes. one of these days to see how that because I've never read that issue. Okay. I gotta see how that reads too. Like, does it read anything ambiguous, or is she very much straight up? Like, no way you would see she's anything else. Mm, good, good question. I haven't read it either, so I can't comment. Yeah, because it all depends. Because you know, sometimes they do, do it, and you know, you're like, well, I saw where the wiggle room was, and sometimes you're reading it, and you're like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> like, her thoughts were evil. It's not what just what she said. It's one thing if they say things, you can go, well, yeah, but they weren't thinking that. But, like, when you have thought balloons, it's like, no, they were thinking this. Like, mm-hmm, exactly. That's not lying. So. But anyway, so we got our cast. And you know what? We talked about this last time on this next page now, which I believe mm-hmm. is... Page five. Yeah, page five. And I believe we don't actually have been told that it's death. That was a question a question I specifically had regarding this page. I mean, the I, first thing I know about we, this asked, page, we talked about this last time, and I think, and I forgot to look, but I think it's we don't know who it is yet. Right. That's that's my question. Is um, okay. This is a pretty monumentally important page, and I am reasonably sure that whether or not we, the audience, have been informed of it yet, Starlin fully intends this dark lady. This, uh. His dark and deadly beauty. Right. I, I'm, I'm reasonably sure that even at this point, Starlin fully intended this figure to be death. Yeah. Because he even says, I oh, was it one, two, three, four. Panel six. Mm-hmm. Even though you've never spoken to me, even though I know who you truly are. It's like they don't say anywhere on here. Mm-hmm. He just alludes to it. Mm-hmm. But since we're talking about Thanos' monologuing, uh, Panels two, uh, what, two and three and four? Mm-hmm. Oh, brother. Well, actually, he's I a, love this. A, I, feel like I, I feel like I'm reading like he's a teenager who just got a guitar and barely knows what to do. Well, no, because listen to me. This page, page five here, this is kind of a monumentally important page in Marvel Comics history. Oh, I'm not saying it's not important, but Thanos is like the emotional, is like stunted emotionally. Well, so he's, like a, he's like an he's an emotional level of like a 13-year-old. That was pretty much the emotional level on which all this stuff was operating back at this point in comics history. Don't get me started. I mean, I'm going to pick on uh, poor Luann in a few pages um, for that for that matter. But my point is simply, uh, first of all, that Thanos up until this point has been an, like interesting looking, but otherwise pretty standard issue. Caught like like galactic villain. He wants power. He's gonna you know kill. He's gonna take over. Right, exactly. Now we go into this. Like I'm going into this retroactively. Like at the time at which I dip into Iron Man 55, the ongoing Captain Marvel saga, all of this Starlin early Starlinverse stuff. I've known who Thanos is for a while. And I've been aware of Thanos' pretty unique personality, unique character within the context of the Marvel Universe. And the fact that his motivation throughout his life has been this weird, frankly romantic love for the physical embodiment of death. Like, he does all of these cracked things that he does, uh, killing people and the Infinity Gauntlet and all of this stuff, basically as a form of courtship, basically as a way to woo this anthropomorphic iteration of an eternal no, I force mean, of nature. No, I mean, it's true. I mean, 
this is actually, I mean, I was making fun of it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, let's. I mean, I think that's been part of Thanos's things since then. Is like I think he's right. ran, he's ran with it. It's like yeah, Thanos is the emotional maturity of a thirteen year old. No, no, no. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not kill disagreeing. Prove it, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that by the time I got into this, I don't remember when I learned that. But by the time I got into this, I'd known that for a while. Here is the page that establishes it. Yeah. No. Actually, I was going to say as I think this issue. Kind of like issue 29 is the one that truly changes Captain Marvel from the character he was before to the character everyone thinks of now. Exactly, exactly. And yes. this is the issue for Thanos. Exa- this is the page for Thanos. Well, it's not really. just this page, it's the last page as well. That too, but we'll because get to that. He doesn't we'll just go to uh, like Doctor Doom or anyone else where I'm just going to get more power so I can blast you all. It's like I am going to actually become part of everything. Right. No, no, that's true, but. The amazing thing here is this is pretty groundbreaking even for the time because he's not he's he's not doing all of the stuff that he's doing for control or for greed or any of the common motivations of of supervillains that we that people who were reading comic books in 1973 would have come to expect. He's doing it to create a, a gift of death and destruction for. His girlfriend, which is kind of sweet and kind of horrific all at the same time, if you get what I'm saying. So, yeah. Well, yeah, he's like I said, you know, he's yeah, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to give her. He's giving her horrible presents. He's like, um, I don't know. Or fantastic presents, because for all we know, I mean, death is inscrutable. But um, for all we know, she loves this. She's digging it. One detail that really blew me away here. And here we go back to. at the time that this detail did, I noticed it and it blew me away. I wasn't aware at the time that Tom Orzachowski was lettering this issue, so I give it to him. It's that in 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 panel four, he says, "I'm doing done for that which I which I being more alone than any creature in the galaxy value more than life." And he says, "Love," but it's lettered in a smaller font. Yes. So it it, it comes across as a moment of 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 almost meekness. But def- or definitely vulnerability. Honesty. Yeah. And it's like, so there's this, like, as best as he can, given his own, um, the, the state of his own talent at this time, given the world in which he's working and the media, the state of the medium in which he's working at this time, Starlin is doing as, as, as fabulous a job as I can imagine of making Thanos a really three-dimensional and, and surprising character. Yeah, and like I said, I didn't think about it before, but yeah, this is where he really does become that character, kind of. Mm-hmm, or start, exactly. or this really turns from being, like we said, Doctor Doom in space. Right, to being something kind of unique. Although, lest we get carried away and start to love him too much, the fact is he is pointing out that in order to woo his uh, lady love death, he is in fact going to uh, destroy the planet Earth. Eh... <laughs> it's for love. I know. All is forgiven. All's fair in love and war. That's where Meatloaf got the idea for the song. Mm-hmm. He'd do anything for love. Mm, but, but he, he won't, won't do that. Yeah, which is, yeah. you know, kill everyone on Earth. On page six, page six starts with this great group shot that is a really nice bit of um, comic booky layout um, uh, for Starlin. Oh, you mean the Last Supper pa- panel? What did you say? The Last Supper? Yeah, exactly. But, and I also love... 
when I was thinking of when I was taking my notes and I was thinking of a way to describe it, this little side convo that's going on between Thor and Panther off on the right side of the panel. Yeah. The only way I could think of to describe it was Justice Leaguey. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, because that that sort of like little side conversation, it was very Silver Age Justice League. You know what I'm saying? No, I can see that. It's also Avengers too. They're all they were very similar like that. So we're all we. He almost has enough for the Last Supper too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, um, I think there's a mistake here. If I was, if, if this was, um, however many years ago, I'd be going for a no prize. I'm pretty sure that the, the, the speech balloon that is clearly meant, it is pointing at the destroyer and it has that weird double outline and blue coloring that yeah. indicates it is the words of the destroyer. But. That should have been Iron Man. That should have been Iron Man, because he says, Cap, I think you'd better give everyone a rundown on what's been going on. The Destroyer just does not talk that way. So that was clearly a miscommunication between Starlin and Orzachowski there. Interesting. Now, I'm looking at the pages. I'm wonder, I, now, I'm wondering if he meant this to be something, because I'm looking right now at this panel. I'm looking at a little thing I bought up in line of the Last Supper and the positions of everyone in that, pan, in that painting. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because, I mean, this is definitely The Last Supper. Oh, oh, it is. Oh, my God, you're right. Like, it's a specific. Yes. So, okay, obviously Captain Marvel's taking the Jesus spot. Captain America is in the spot. No, because we're missing two people. We need two more mm-hmm. people, and we have the exact number. So it's a mm-hmm. little hard. you got to kind of guess a little bit, like, which one's which. Captain, Mar- Captain America is where Thomas is. Uh, Vision is James James the Greater. Mm-hmm. Scarlet Witch is Philip. Thor is Matthew. Thaddeus is not there at all because he's in between. And then mm-hmm. Simon, Black Panther, Simon. Because okay. you have like Thaddeus and Simon, sorry, Matthew and Simon talking to each other, and Thaddeus mm-hmm. is in between, mm-hmm. so there's no one between them. And and I wonder if that's why he has them talking because they're in that position. Mm-hmm. Because even mm-hmm. Matthew even is there with his arm outstretched like Thor's is, where he's pointing. So he has to have it like that because. Now on the other side. Let's see. So, Moon Dragon is John. Mm-hmm. Iron Man is Peter. Drax is Judas. Oh. Looks like there's no one for Andrew. Okay. So and then Swordsman is James the Lesser, and Mantis is Bartholomew. Yes, we have so, ten disciples here. So the question, of course, is now, because I'm trying to remember, is there a point coming up in the next two issues where Drax... <gasps> oh, Yes. Wow. I did not pick up on that at all. And that is you. What you have just figured out is genius that dude, you win at comic book podcasting. Cause we get to 30. I think it's, I don't think it's in 32, but in 33, yeah, it does kind of, he's not as, not as much as Judas, but yeah, there's a little betrayal. Al Sedano, you win at comic book podcasting. That was a, that was a, drop the mic, man. You just figured it out. All right. I'm out. Good night. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Because only uh, after that, well, after that, well, I, 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 I can't even follow that up. All I have for the rest, the rest of this page, um, um, is is a pretty slick job of making five issues of Captain Marvel just instantly recapped for new readers. And this was the first time I had this thought, so check it out. So, um, in the last panel here on uh, page six, Captain Marvel says because. 
Thanos has the Cosmic Cube, anything he wishes will be. So it's been established that that's the MO of the Cosmic Cube. He wishes, and it happens. And it just immediately begs the question, and not for the last time, why Thanos just didn't wish Captain Marvel and the Avengers out of existence back on page three when he says, oh, no, 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 you cannot be allowed to uh, slow down my plans. Well, yes. (laughs) Yes. Why exactly didn't he do that? Because he has a plan. Um, And you have to go according to the plan. Okay. I guess so. I guess so. Uh, So that's all I got for page six. But yeah, damn it. But man, way to go with that Last Supper parsing, man. Good job. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all it is for this page, because it's like I said, you got that one panel, and then the rest is all recap. Is all recap, and it's very, but it's very well done. That's that's as slick a job of doing that as I've seen um, in, in a comic book from this era. But moving on to page seven... Okay, so you've got these first two panels. Now, if Jim Starlin had prior to this displayed any evidence whatsoever of having a sense of humor, I would think that this first two panels on page seven are meant to be a joke. As it is, they're funny, but I think they're unintentionally funny. Oh, yeah, where it goes, the next move is Thanos's. And, and then, then I was like, okay. And they just, they yell, just blink out of existence. It's like, whoops. Yeah, yeah. So um, the rest of the page is, guess what? More monologuing. There really is a ridiculous amount of monologuing going on in this uh, issue. Oh, and by the way, I think he's establishing also here that Thanos is damn big. Yes, he is a because, large, I mean, Drax large being. appears to be pretty still big compared to, you know, when he's fighting the other Avengers before. Mm-hmm. And Thanos is still towering over him. I mean... Oh, and hell, Captain Marvel and Iron Man are both supposed to be pretty tall dudes, too. Yeah. Of course, we get... Drax going with his, you know, already establishing years ago, back then, that, yeah, when it comes to Thanos, he doesn't think. Yeah, no, he has zero impulse control when it comes to Thanos. He sees Thanos, he attacks Thanos. It's downright Pavlovian. And it's automaticness. Exactly. Um, The only notable thing I had on page eight was in panel four... He talks about uh, he had to overcome the Thanos says he had to overcome the destructive force the cube had developed due to mineral mutation. And there's a editor's note saying see Submariner 49. Yeah, no Thanos in there. I did. And that is fun. And, and I sort of skimmed through it. I didn't read it closely. So clearly I'm missing something. But it just looked to me like the Submariner in, in this issue, it was cover dated May 1972. So it was a good year and a half before, more than a year and a half before this. Um, Modoc and has the Cosmic Cube and both the Submariner and Dr. Doom are fighting Modoc to get their hands on the Cosmic Cube. And then the Cosmic Cube kind of blows up. <laughs> and I didn't see any, again, I just skimmed it, but I didn't see any reference to mineral mutation or anything, basically, that connects to what Thanos is saying in this panel. So, it's like, which begs uh, the question what does that mean? Of, 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 of what exactly Roy intended to point us at with that editor's note, other than just the simple fact of the Cube's last appearance i guess maybe i don't know yeah beyond anyway. that i mean i haven't read the issue so i don't know right that is all that is i cannot uh, speak to uh, any more than than that um on and that was pretty much all i had on page eight i do have to say i do love one thing that starlin has well i mean he does some cool images mm-hmm. and i like that the first panel on this page 
but also the last three panels with like the transition from like as then it's just talking and it's like so he's not really moving much mm-hmm. except his hand but you have the whole background changing exactly as he teleports them all into space and this is what's amazing because it's getting very cinematic here and this in combination with page 9 the next page really all of a sudden makes it very clear what Starlin is up to here and man just the the ambition on this man and kudos to Roy Thomas and Stanley and Marvel Comics management for giving him this amount of free reign the man has an has the kind of coherent storytelling chops that I don't think we've seen in Marvel Comics since the days of at least Jim Steranko, if not Jack Kirby himself. So, you, yeah, you watch these last three panels on page eight, and then you turn the page and you go on to page nine. Oh, we got, got Cronus being... We, no, no, that's page ten. On page nine, you oh, you're got, right. You know, it dissolves to they're they're at Mars, and then you've got Thanos posing with the war fleet behind him, and it's just there is growth. Like he is building. He, there's just a build up as 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 it gets as as Thanos. Okay, frankly, Thanos is still monologuing. It's a lot of monologuing, but as he's doing this, oh yeah, the visuals are just building this sense of the epic and the grandiose, and the scale is just growing by the page and by the panel, and the pace of the growth is also picking up. It's like it's not just growing, it's not just building, but it's building faster and faster and faster. And that is clearly intentional, and that is clearly awesome. When you had this, like, I, it wasn't common in these days for someone to be writing and drawing this, for someone to be the, art, the author and the artist on a book. And this is just very cool that he is doing this here. I'm, I'm, when it became obvious that that's what was going on, I stood in awe of Jim Starlin here. He definitely has ambition. Yeah. Like I said, he wasn't just, oh, I'll try something. I mean, let's, honestly, I mean, we've talked before, he, this is like, I have to double check, this might be his first ongoing book he's doing. Mm-hmm. I think but so. But he's yeah. been doing this story for a while. Mm-hmm. Before he was in the, uh, he had this book. He, like, he started it with Iron Man and Marvel Premiere and, like, a bunch of other things he did. Like, he's been, like, bringing, you know, seeing this around here and there. So, to try and do that early on, like, and just do this big ongoing thing, he's got goals. Yeah. And he has, like, big ideas. And luckily enough for him, he had enough raw talent to be able to do something. Absolutely. And you can see his confidence growing as well. Like with each issue, you can see him trusting him, trusting in his skills more and being more willing, more comfortable to put this this really unprecedentedly epic vision of his on the page. I mean, look at this. Look at the third panel here on page nine with with Thanos and the warships behind him. Remember, this is four years before Star Wars. Yeah. would come out. So that, right. is, that is some really damn impressive stuff. And with that next page, you can definitely tell the, the Kirby influence on him. Maybe not in style of artwork, but, oh, but in just in grandeur and in well, ideas. Well, just real quick, before we get to that next page, because I do want to get to that next page, but the last panel on page nine is just, Behold! Oh, and yeah. it's just such... It, it's, it, it's almost cute. 
like what a brute force page turner panel that is. It's like he's not even bothering to trick you into turning the pa- the page. He's just basically instructing the reader to go turn look the page. at this. He's like, check <laughs> this out. So that was pretty like that was pretty cool almost. So now we get to uh, now we get to page ten, which yes, just there's the it, that's the payoff. All of this build up that he's been that he's been doing, this grand build up that he's been up to, this has this is the payoff. If if, if this had been a movie that we were watching, um, this this shot would have been accompanied. It would have been widescreen, and it would have been accompanied by a huge swell of like the orchestral score. It's just amazing. This is just an impressive page. Oh, on so many levels. I mean, the density of it, and how much like, and not just that you have this like it, the centerpiece of this epic, mind-blowing image of Kronos captured, bound. And on top of that, you have in the upper right, you have Thanos exulting his his arms. He's 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 crowing in triumph. And then below him at the bottom, you have the 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 heroes as they are in various states of like falling down, losing their balance, you know, being except for Captain Marvel standing except between for both Captain of them. Marvel. Who and is, I have is, to is, I need to find this somewhere. Is this another image he's taken like the last supper panel? I don't know. Because that looks is, familiar of like everyone kind of hanging on. I'd have to look that up, and 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 I will. But and also, and I didn't notice this until just now. I missed it the first couple of times. I flipped through this uh, page. Um, off to the left, you have oh, death. death. Yeah, just, just stand, standing there, she's just chilling, silent, just she's like, like doo, 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 doo. yeah. This is really. Uh, I I don't even have the words. It's like so ambitious, and 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 not just ambitious, but ambition realized so effectively on the page. It's like this right here, if more so than any other, is Starlin's thesis summed up in a single panel. Um, remember a few pages ago when you commented on the emotional maturity of Thanos as he wooed death? Yes. Um, here on page 11, sort of is the support, for the, the evidence for my assertion that that's really sort of universal. Like, that's the level on which all of this is operating. Because look at how melodramatic Luann here is. It's like she comes up, she's like, something's happened. You must tell me if Captain Marvel has been kidnapped, and so has his other self, the one person in this life I really care for. And it's like, this is like Catherine Hepburn levels of melodrama here. (laughs) No, that's true. It's possible. But then again, I mean, this kind of probably, that makes sense. I mean, if you went back to early Silver Age, you know, 60s Marvel, like 61, 62, 63, probably mm-hmm. an average age around 11. No, 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 you're right. It's it's certainly more advanced than than once it might have been. But to our modern eyes, it just, you know... I mean, think about it. By the time you get to, like, 1980, like, Death of Phoenix, you're probably, like, 15, 16. No, you're right. You're Which right. kind of fits it's, with that. <laughs> it's, it's funny because, you know, oftentimes we have heard statements along the lines of the comic book medium has grown with its audience. But I think you're, yeah, no, it, it actually has grown with its audience. Yeah, no, totally. Um, but what I really did like about page 11 here is in panels four, five, six, and seven, the second line, basically, there are some really dramatic, for lack of a better term, lighting choices. Oh, it's um, the point where they actually have a spotlight on them. Right. And also it goes dark and, and but it's not. What I, I think I believe the term, and I'm a, I may about be about to reveal myself as a as a fool because I might be about to use the wrong word, but I believe the word is exegetic or something like that, where wow. diegetic, 
diegetic in in film. Isn't that um, the book that he wrote? L. Ron Hubbard wrote for uh, Scientology. Close, but no cigar. Um, no, in, well, in films, diegetic sound, I believe, is what it's called. Diegetic is sound that is part of the um, movie that it's happening. Like it's it, like the characters would be able to hear it um, because it's in their world. Like if whereas, they're like if they're driving, it would be the sound of the car engine. Right. Whereas if the the sound is non diegetic, then it's like it's on the soundtrack. It's like soundtrack music, the score, oh, okay. or whatever. Yeah, it's the score, um, or it's the theme song, or whatever. So, but they're not going to hear that, obviously. Right. That's what I'm driving at with this, where the lighting changes and it looks like there's a bit of a blackout. But if that had actually happened, they would have said what happened to the lights, and they didn't, making me think that it's dramatic and lighting there's choice. There's no reason to make it think there's anything happening because, as far as we know, while everyone's running around there trying to figure out what happened to them. Mm-hmm. No, and Thanos is not doing anything else to the Avengers. All he's done is take those people away. And the, and although it wasn't specifically explicitly stated on the credits page, if I remember past couple of issues, um, Starlin was credited as the colorist as well as the writer and the uh, penciler. Yes. Um, and so I'm reasonably sure that in this issue, although he wasn't explicitly named as such, he's the colorist here too. So that dramatic lighting change here in the second line of panels on page 11 is entirely Starlin's storytelling I have choice. to assume, because he's credited with story and art. Mm-hmm. You know, now we have credits for the inks, letterer, and editor, but nothing right, exactly. else. So exactly. I assume that means story and art, from, and also based on before, it does mean, you know, the script and right. the art and the coloring. So exactly now. Um, last thing about page 11 before we move on here is um, I really, really liked and appreciated, more so than liked, I appreciated that this is a, this is a major turning point in the plot. You know, it's like Thanos has our heroes on the ropes, and what breaks out of this, what, what changes that dynamic is Captain Marvel having the strength to katang the, 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 the negabands together and switch places with Rick. And I'm so gratified and appreciate that this significant major turning point in the plotline of this issue is a, I don't know how else to put it, but a standard superpower of this character. You know what I'm saying? It's like they didn't need to find He a didn't new have to character. do anything new. He didn't have to get a new power or it's like the MacGuffin that was mentioned in the first page. It's the thing he's been able to do since it's it's one of the, the draws. It's it's we read Captain Marvel because that's one of the things that he can do and one of the things that he does. And so the fact that he creates this major turning point in the plot by doing just that very thing is kind of awesome it's sort of you know what it's like i just remembered this is what it feels like like the sort of emotional resonance of the moment it's like did you watch did you ever watch voltron yeah what were you talking okay. about the new one or the old one the old one the, okay. the classic voltron cartoon and there either way yes come, there would always come that point he would be fighting he'd be fighting he'd be fighting and then at some point they just they would decide to form blazing sword and okay, you can kind of look at it and say, why didn't you just do that to begin with? But the point is, when it got to that point and they formed Blazing Sword, it was on and it always happened. And it's like, I love that this, this is sort of the equivalent of form Blazing Sword. And I just friggin' love that. I always love that part too. All right, this is present day Al back, which means that's the end of the episode. So if you can hear the rest of our conversation about this issue, go check out episode 50. But for now, we are going to finish off the show with our feedback for our last episode, episode 179, Metamorphosis Part 1, 
part two of our missing episodes coverage with Brian Zeno. And on Facebook, the posts about that episode got likes and shares from Magazines and Monsters, Ranger Gord, Mirko Mackey, Clinton Robinson, Ruth Sutherland, and Joe Sedano. On Twitter, it got likes and retweets from Alan Sharp, Doc Strange, David Finn, Ghost Spider Groupies, a Spider-Gwen podcast, Viet Nguyen, Capes and Lunatics Podcast Network, Between the Pages Blog, Jason Snick Venable, Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Chris Lydon, Brian Z, no, not that one, the other one, Chase, Karen Walker, Chris, Comics Over Time Podcast, Christine VTuber Artist, Bill Farad, Dave's Comic Heroes Blog, and Anti-Wife Equation. Now, of course... If you want to hear more from me, you can hear me pretty much every week on the L-E-G-I-O-M-P-O-D cast. You can find that on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed, links in the show notes. And on that show, we talk about the late 80s, early 90s DC Comics sci-fi series, Legion. That is the one with Roldox and Lobo, and the acronym, not Legion of Superheroes. All right, you want things you want to talk to me about. You want to just hear your name said here in the feedback. All that is cool. Well, how do you do that? First, email. Send us one, please. Resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Facebook. Go to the show's Facebook page. Just go in the Facebook and in the search box, type in Adam Warlock or Thanos. We will pop up. And on Twitter, we are at Adam Thanos Pod. Before we end this episode, just want to remind you, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances. And you are going to hear a promo for one of the other collective shows right now. From the time of his hatching, he was different. A potentially brilliant scholar who dreaded the structured environment of school. He educated himself in the streets, taking whatever work was available, formulating his philosophy of self from what he had learned of the world about him. And then the cosmic axis shifted, and that world changed. Suddenly, he was stranded in a universe he could not fathom. Without warning, he became a strange fowl in an even stranger land. Welcome to the one, and for some reason only, podcast about Marvel Comics' greatest talking duck, Howard the Duck, trapped in a world he never made. Hosted by myself, No who's loved Howard since he was a kid. And me, Russell, who's not new to comics, but is new to Howard. We go through a couple issues from Howard's Marvel comic book history with some creator backgrounds, storied histories, and the weird world of 1970s comic books to today's. Get ducked up in a world he never made. Trapped in a world, the Howard the Duck podcast. Wow! Proud members of the collective. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.
yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. Of course, I'm suffering some <laughs> complete aside, nothing to do with Thanos or comic books even, but I'm suffering just a little bit now of a, of, um, cognitive disconnect because I went after, you know, the, after the most recent, um, after watching the most recent episode of Legend, not the most recent episode of Legends of Tomorrow, but the most recent one that I've watched with, uh, my wife, um, I have then, uh, went and binged season two of The Wire which tonally speaking is about as far <laughs> from legends of tomorrow as you can get while still technically being part of the same medium. That's okay. We've been <laughs> going between, I actually, Kim's watching Supergirl with me. Okay. Awesome show. So we're about halfway through. We're about okay. a little more than halfway through. Like see episode, the toy man episode. I know we got through. So I think it's like season episode 11. Okay. Um, I know we, she'd started putting on to like had kind of a background noise for herself. And then, mm-hmm. Because we never really watched the last season of Psych, and it goes mm-hmm. away as of October first, so we're trying to watch that. But okay, now the okay. last two days, because she's been doing some stuff for work in the living room when I get home, like in the evening, so she puts on so to have this background. Mm-hmm. Criminal Minds has been on, so okay. I've been inundated with death, 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 murder, murder, murder. Let's kill some children. Let's kill these women. Let's kill these guys. Let's kill this person. <laughs> what other ways can somebody be out there trying to kill you? <laughs> Wow, that sounds pretty dark, actually. I didn't realize Criminal Minds was quite that dark. It's all about serial killers or serial uh, predators or anything like that. Okay, okay. So it's all, I mean, the last episode that was actually I mean, pretty interesting. It was like a, almost like a bottle episode, but not quite. It took place in a mall in basically an hour, roughly. And there's a little girl missing. And there had been like a, a child abduction who had ended a mur- in a death recently there. So that's why they got called in, the FBI. And what it turned out was it was a... The girl was at the mall of her parents and her aunt and uncle and cousin. And it turned out it was the aunt that took her and wow. tied her up and duct taped her mouth shut and locked her away somewhere in the ba- in the mall because the girl had asthma. And I guess she think, I believe she was hoping the girl the it would cause her to just die and oh, it was the killer. The reason the aunt did it was because the uncle had been molesting the girl and the aunt thought this was a way to get rid of the problem. Good lord. I mean, I, I said to the kid before, I'm like, if we were ever going to have kids, I can't, like, God forbid I would watch, like, five episodes in a row like that. <laughs> all I would think to do is, like, the only sane response once the kid's born is, I got to get a gun and start killing everyone else in the world. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And you are, and you're in a place you could do that. Kind of like that South Park Very episode easily. where the, the news tells them, there are strangers out to kidnap your children and molest them. So, that, you know, they do everything they can to you know, actually, like, you know, lowjack their kids, and then they see the next day in the news, it's actually somebody you know who's going to molest your children, so next to they're all paranoid of each other, and then it's probably, most likely, most kids are molested by one of their parents, and then the parents all kick the kids out of their houses and send them away because they're worried they'll molest them. Yeah, yeah, it, it, this, uh, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And basically, anyway. and then it turns into the uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Oh, fantastic. Because it's the kids who, you know, it's been like four days, so... Good Lord. But anyway. Anyway, sorry, tangent on my head. Slight, slight aside uh, uh, over. Back to page 12. 